Hello everyone and welcome to the Horse.com's Ask the Vet live event on green horsekeeping brought to you free by Sweet PDZ. Visit them online at www.sweetpdz.com. I'm Christy West, digital editor and producer for the Horse.com and joining us today to answer your questions about this topic are Dr. Joyce Harmon, owner of a holistic equine veterinary practice in Virginia called Harmony Equine Clinic and Elaine Renee Blickle, contributing author to the Horse.com's Smart Horsekeeping blog and the creator and director of Horses for Clean Water. I'd like to thank you all for joining us today, and as always, we received far more questions for this event than we could possibly answer in the time we have tonight. But we picked out as many as we can to cover the major topics that you're all interested in. And once we're through with those, if we have some time left, we'll move on to the live questions. If you would like to ask a question, hang around for just a bit to see if we already have a similar one, and if not, please type your question into the chat box at the bottom of the control panel you see on your screen. Please note that if you sent your question in already, you do not need to send it again now. Now I'd like to get into our, the topic area for which we had by far the most questions, uh, which was waste management. Our first question is from Lynette in Wisconsin, who would like to know about managing manure. Should you remove or recycle it on pastures? And I will go ahead and answer that. This is Elaine Blickley talking and I'm um, speaking about this from a perspective of an, an environmental educator who work primarily with natural resource agencies um, as kind of interfacing between them and horse owners to give horse owners some ideas of uh, ways that they can manage their natural resources so that it's good for the horses and the environment. So the question was um, whether you should move, remove or recycle the manure on your pastures. And I'm a big advocate of composting and reapplying those nutrients back to the pastures. Because what happens a lot of times is that we're just grazing the pastures and just taking the um, grass off and we're taking and taking and we're not giving anything back. So it's really important to add compost and organics back to the pasture and to the soils to um, refresh uh, them and to make them a little healthier and the soils healthier. All right. And our next question is from L in New Mexico who would like to know if there are any feeds out there that can reduce manure production. Well, when it, this, is, this is Joyce Harmon and uh, as a holistic veterinarian, we're always looking to improve the animal's health and it certainly is a nice thought to reduce the amount of manure that we have to deal with but the horse's digestive tract requires long stem fibers in order for it to function properly and particularly if you have a performance horse and you want you want the entire intestinal tract to be full of food that it's processing and when the intestinal tract is not full of this fiber, you certainly run a greater risk of having a colic or having a gut get out of place or twisted because the abdomen is not full. And so in general, we really want to feed a longer stem fiber and have the horse producing a nice healthy amount of manure. When we decrease our manure production, we actually can run into constipation problems. And that can be very, very serious. So one thing that they, um, this person might have been thinking about was re 
reducing the amount of stall waste, um, or the question might have been alluding to that. And if they want to do that, one of the things that you can do is look at reducing the amount of bedding you use because one of the biggest parts of manure management actually is dealing with the amount of stall waste that we, we generate. And uh, there's many different kinds of beddings that you can look at. I mean, basically you want to choose a bedding for absorbency and how well it composts. So there's different kinds of beddings out there that are very absorbent, where you don't need to use as much bedding, or well where they will compost really well then, so that it's not as much of an um, issue for you dealing with all the stall waste. Well, thanks for that. And uh, sort of in a related line, our next question from Jenny in Colorado would like to know about composting. Is it okay to compost manure, soiled hay, and wood shavings together? Um, Yes, definitely. Anything organic can be composted, and, and it's great to compost it. So the, uh, what you might be thinking about, what this person might be thinking about is talking about or thinking about the um, carbon to nitrogen ratio. And the easiest way to think about it is that um, the ratio that you want is about 35 to 1 for carbon to nitrogen. And um, as, it, as the manure comes from the horse, that's about the perfect ratio for carbon to nitrogen. So any more bedding that you're using is actually adding more carbon to it and can kind of slow the process down. So you want to, that's another reason why you want to reduce the amount of bedding that you use just for the composting aspect. But hay is actually a nitrogen source, so hay is excellent to add to your uh, compost. All right, and Jenny would also like to know if uh, what you would recommend is a good source of information for first-time composters, and I will jump in there real quickly and say we do have some articles on this at thehorse.com, www.thehorse.com, if you want to do a search. And uh, Lane, Joyce, do you have any other references you'd like to recommend? I have some materials on my website, which is horsesforcleanwater.com, and Joyce, do you know any other um, um, good books? A, a good source can be... Um, there's a magazine of organic agriculture called Acres USA, and it's acresusa.com, and that can be an excellent source of information, and they have a ton of good books. All right, perfect. And Cheryl from Croatia would like to know about any tips on composting horse manure in her climate, and I guess probably we should consider any tips on composting manure in different climates. I'm not honestly sure what the climate is like in that area of Croatia. Right. Well, composting um, can happen in any climate and anywhere. So first of all, that's um, important to know. It's going to depend on the amount of how well it composts depends on, how, on the amount of moisture and the oxygen. You want it to be aerobic, the composting, and you want it to have moisture. You want it to be about as damp as a wrung out sponge and no more, no less than that. And so that's probably the, um, the one challenge for many dry climates, like in the, the southwestern states of the United States. Um, and in those areas in particular, it's really important to tarp piles in the summertime so that they don't get too dried out and to add water every day when you add your stall waste. 
Composting will slow down in the wintertime when the bacteria um, and fungal organisms are um, not as active. But basically, you can compost anywhere, anytime, year-round. All right. Our next question is from Janet in Florida, who would like to know if putting dried horse manure on pastures is a good practice, so drying versus composting. Well, if you, if you dry horse manure, then you have done a fairly nice job of preserving some of the parasite eggs. And when moisture and cooler temperatures come around, those eggs are going to hatch. And so you really need to go through the composting process to spread before you spread your manure on your pasture and not just put raw, dried horse manure. All right. And uh, Kelly, from Florida, also from Florida, would like to know how safe is it to compost manure from recently chemically dewormed horses? Well, it is, it's certainly safe to do that. If you compost over several months and you, and you get your composting um, pile temperature up to a good level, um, and Elena can probably give a little more detail about that, the exact process, but you can um, get rid of most of your chemicals over a period of several months. However, when those horses have been recently dewormed and if you're putting the manure out before the chemicals have broken down, then you can run into some significant problems with contaminating the soil and also the runoff, the water, when it rains and it runs down the hill, it's going to collect in the stream beds and, and there it many of the chemical dewormers will affect the, um, the insect life that is in your healthy waterways. Lena, do you want to say just how much temperatures yeah. and time you need? Sure. It's about 133 degrees for three days is, is what the critical um, component that you need to kill parasites, pathogens, and um, weed seeds. And what I would say is, um, as far as from putting manure from chemically treated horses um, in compost, I think that's exactly where you want it because it, it takes about, it depends on the dewormer and um, a lot of other things, but it's about 10 days to break that down and the composting will, will break it down and will break it down efficiently. Whereas, as Joyce said, if you have it just out in your pasture, your paddock, and it gets rained on, if there's any active chemical in there, it can definitely cause a water quality issue. So the compost pile is exactly where you want um, any kind of chemicals like that. In fact, compost is used um, to decontaminate a lot of different things. So it's a, it's a, a really good process to have on your farm to, to treat dewormed horses manure with. All right. And Terry from Texas would, says, uh, I'd like to compost shavings and manure. Oh, I'm sorry, we kind of already addressed this with how long should I compost. You just touched on that. Um, 
<clears throat> Mary from New York would like to know if the practice of spreading raw manure onto pastures leads to a reinfestation of parasites. Absolutely, because the parasite eggs are in the manure and you are just spreading them into the environment where they want to be. Parasite eggs hatch and the larvae go up onto the grass and then the horses re-ingest them. So it's really a bad practice to spread it on the pasture. And Joanne from New York would like to know if she should drag pastures, and if so, how often? Um, the related. same idea. Mm -hmm. If you have, the horses have a tendency to go in one area, or they naturally stay away from their manure when they're grazing, because they don't want to pick up those larvae that are sitting on the ends of the grass waiting to be ingested. And so you'll see in a horse pasture, you will see mounds around the manure where the grass looks great and long, and the horses are avoiding it. You then take that manure pile and spread it all over the field, and you've just inoculated the entire field. Right. Uh, along those lines, we'd just like to ask a quick question of our, or a poll question of our audience. What do you do with your stall waste? Uh, let us know, and we'll move on to our next question. This one is from John in North Carolina, who would like to know what are some of the be your be recommended best practices for managing manure to maintain nutrients in pasture soil? Anything additional to compounding, or excuse me, uh, composting? to composting? <laughs> yeah, composting. Um, yeah, that's uh, the main thing that we recommend for um, for our pastures is to composting is composting manure and to reapplying it to your pastures about in a layer about a quarter of an inch to a half an inch thick, um, no more than three to four inches in one area per year, but about a quarter inch to half an inch at a time. So it's a pretty thin layer, and then the, the soil and the plants just break it down and absorb it. But going along with nutrients in pasture soil, uh, we'll talk about pasture management in a little bit, but we always recommend doing a uh, soil test to determine what nutrients your pasture needs, if, especially if you're going to be applying any amendments like lime or fertilizers, anything like that. We recommend getting a soil test for your pasture because it's impossible to tell what your soils need unless you do a soil test. And they're pretty, pretty inexpensive to do. All right. I'll uh, wrap up our poll with that and just let everyone know the results. 41% uh, of you uh, compost manure and spread it on pastures. 9% collect and spread it on pastures and property. 14% uh, of you haul, have it hauled away or sell it. 18% create a manure or waste pile but do nothing with it. And 18% 18 of you uh, do something else or you don't have stalls at all. We'll move on to our next question from Melody in Utah who would like to know, is it better to put a manure compost pile on dirt or concrete? Um, it, it is, well, it's sort of a mixed question. From the composting standpoint, compost, um, manure and stall waste will really compost a lot better on dirt because you're getting the natural infusion of the bacterial organisms from the ground and from the environment. So compost a lot better and a lot quicker. But it's kind of a catch-22 because tractors, um, you know, if you're going to use any kind of equipment, the tractor isn't going to work very well on the dirt. And 
environmentally, the big concern is, is that we don't want any leachate coming from that pile and um, getting into the groundwater or running off into the environment. So the way it's going with regulations really all across the country is that we'd prefer that you compost on concrete. And that way it's going to be a lot uh, more we're going to be a lot more certain that you're not going to get leachate getting into the groundwater uh, or running off and it'll be a lot more convenient from an owner perspective as far as the tractor and using equipment around the compost pile. Right. And um, Carrie from Pennsylvania, we talked to, had a question about composting manure and we, had, we, we talked about it a little bit already or quite a bit already but wanted to know if this was a, a, a good replacement for commercial fertilizers, maybe how would you recommend using commercial fertilizers on grazing fields or not at all? Well, actually compost is really um, more of a time-release fertilizer and it's the nutrients in it are um, much smaller than what you get in fertilizer, but it also has a lot of micro and macronutrients and it has a lot of organics in it, a lot of organic material, uh, which is really important for holding moisture um, in the summertime when our fields where well, we don't get as much rain and fields can get pretty dried out so the compost helps in that respect as well. So many times um, you still might need a fertilizer if you've used compost but the only way that you would know is if you did a soil test like what I spoke about before. Um, if you're thinking about applying any kind of amendments like fertilizer or lime I highly recommend getting a soil test, otherwise you could be completely wasting your money and causing an environmental issue because if you put on fertilizer and your plants don't need it, they won't use it and it'll just run off and potentially cause a lot of environmental issues and then you're wasting money as well. So compost is good and your plants will be able to use it. If you want something more than that, do a, do a soil test. Right. Next question is from Lisa in Ontario who would like to know if uh, it would, it's beneficial to dig a hole for the manure and, tar and to tarp it for composting. Well, um, actually one part of this question brings up something that I um, haven't mentioned yet that would be good to mention and that's the tarp. It is really important that you cover your compost. I kind of mentioned it from the standpoint of it not getting too dried out in the summer, but the winter time and covering your compost is probably even more important in most parts of the country because we get a lot of rain in the winter. I mean that's the rainy season and that water can get into the compost and leach out the valuable nutrients that we want to save and put back into our, our holistic approach to managing our pastures. So the tarp keeps it from getting too wet in the winter time and it holds those nutrients in so that they don't leach out and then it keeps it from getting too dried out in the summer as well. And the hole, um, you wouldn't want to do that because for one thing it's going to make the compost really difficult to get to because you know how would you get equipment and how would you get down into it to turn it or to access it to get it out. And the other thing is, is that it would make it more anaerobic because it's in a um, tight space with not as much air circulation and you want it to be aerobic and have air so that the organisms can breathe 
and be breaking down your stall waste and turning it into a nice compost product. All right. And we've talked about uh, leachate running off, runoff being bad, but Jesse, our next question from Jesse in Maine would like to know, in what ways exactly does runoff from manure piles damage the environment, and what can we do to minimize that? Well, it can get into surface water as well as groundwater, and um, the nitrogen in the manure can, can really be very damaging in drinking water and can be a, a human health issue as well. When it gets into the surface water, it can cause a big problem for aquatic life, for fish, and for other, um, other organisms that live in the streams and ponds and wetlands. And you don't have to live right next to a creek for, for the runoff to travel that way. I mean, everything is going to go downhill. If you have a ditch alongside of your road, uh, alongside of your property, the runoff can travel to the ditch, and the ditch can convey it to another water body, and that's how things travel to bigger and bigger water bodies and eventually cause pollution problems for bigger um, areas. Like on the west coast, Puget Sound is a big problem. On the east coast, Chesapeake Bay, um, you know, the Gulf of Mexico actually is a big pollution issues, and, and these areas collect the nutrients from, we call it non-point pollution, they collect all the non-point pollution that's running off of our places. And our next question from Louise in Australia would like to know if um, people on small acreage in the U.S. are being required to prevent nutrients from leaching, leaching from the manure into the water table, people being made responsible for that. Definitely. There's um, ordinances going into place all over the country, basically based on federal regulations, the clean water um, ruling from the federal government requires all the municipalities from states down to smaller cities and smaller and smaller municipalities to um, regulate non-point pollution and part of that is the runoff that comes off of small acreage livestock owners. You know, people may be aware of the regulations that are affecting larger livestock op operations like feedlots and uh, dairies and things. And, and basically those regulations will catch up to us horse owners on small acreage. So what I like to do is to try to encourage people to be ahead of the curve and to be proactive because these um, things that we need to change for the environment are actually you know, really important for us as horse owners. They're good for the health of our horses. They're good for the productivity of our pastures and our properties. So they're basically win-win-win um, options for us. So we might as well, you know, do them now before some government um, agency tells us that we have to. Amen to that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to uh, go ahead and uh, ask our audience another quick question since we've been talking so much about composting. How long do you allow your manure or waste pile to compost before you use or sell it? We'll move on to our next question from Anne in New York. We'd like to know if you have any uh, low-cost or even free, even better, suggestions for manure disposal? Well, one of the best ways to have a free or even a profit center 
is to compost your manure and then sell it to your neighbors for their gardens. And if you do a good job of composting your manure, your neighbors are going to want to be your best friends if they have any gardens. And this is actually a very, very valid way of disposing of the manure. And if you have a small area and don't have a lot of room for composting, if you put it into some nice, neat areas, you can actually accomplish more composting than you might think you could, even on a very small acreage. I've seen, um, I've seen this done where people have composted it and sold it using, they, they put the, uh, they take their old feed bags and they put their compost in it. And they'll, I've seen places where they've set up like little, like lemonade stands at the end of their driveway and have a little coffee can and have a sign for how much they're selling their composted horse manure for and they're not even there and they set out their bags and then at the end of the day the bags are gone and there's money in their coffee can and I've seen like 4-H kids and pony club kids do this as a fundraiser. Perfect. <laughs> Can't beat that. Yeah. Next question is from Donna in California, who would like to know who's interested in solid, solid waste management in a desert, desert environment as it relates to fly control. Well, um, composting is a great way and a really important way for managing flies and insects, as is mud management. But in the and even in the desert, you still are going to have some mud issues in the wintertime. I'm not sure if that would be as much an insect time, but composting, if you get the compost to 133 degrees about for about three days at a minimum, it's, it's going to go a long ways for killing fly eggs. And flies and odors are associated with fresh manure and not so much with the compost. All right. And I'll go ahead and let you know what the results of our poll. Um, how long do you allow your manure your manure pile to compost before using or selling it. 16% of you compost less than three months. 12% at three to six months. 20% at seven to 12 months. 18% over 12 months. And the majority of you, 34%, are not composting at all. Our next question from Joanne in Massachusetts says, she has people who laugh at her because she picks up manure on her farm. They say it's not necessary because it will eventually disappear. Uh, Joyce, Elaine, what do you have to say to that? Well. That is one of your best parasite control techniques is to go around and pick up your manure and then go put it in your compost pile. But if you're removing the manure from your paddocks and you are also removing those parasite eggs and you're also making it so the horses are going to be more likely to graze the grass more evenly and not leave as many ungrazed areas. So you're on the right track. Oh yeah, I can't imagine people laughing at somebody for picking up manure because they're making their farm more productive, they're making their horses healthier, they're saving money, it's making it much more aesthetically pleasing, they're reducing flies and insects, uh, they're reducing mud because manure is 50 pounds of manure a day per horse is 50 pounds of mud when you add water. So you know, they're making their farm a much healthier, happier, better place for everybody. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, we've got uh, Bridget online who would like to know, excuse me, Carrie online, who would like to know of a good way to treat pastures that horses are currently using in order to prevent runoff of manure waste. Um, so to prevent, it's how to treat pastures to prevent runoff? runoff? of manure. Mm -hmm. This well, possibly ties into another question she had, which is uh, that she's required in her county to create a manure management plan, and who would you consult to create one? Hmm. Well, they, the answer to that is to talk to your conservation district. There's conservation districts in every county in the United States. They're a non-regulatory, non-enforcement agency, um, and their job is to help people with uh, natural resources issues, and that's specifically their job to help um, livestock owners with mud, manure, and pasture management. And the way to prevent runoff from her pastures is to not overgraze the pastures so that you have, you never want to graze below three to four inches. You want to have um, good, tall, leafy grass in your pasture because that will hold soil in place and help prevent erosion of the soil. And it'll also, the pasture plants will help utilize nutrients and um, anything, utilize anything that might potentially want to run off of the property. All right, and one last question in waste management before we move on to other topics. Uh, Bruce in California would like to know if, if uh, anyone is aware of a method to practically treat urine or manure smells in paddocks. Um, one of the, that is actually a really important issue that I see in a lot of urbanizing areas where you have horses on small acreage and a lot of neighbors around and it's a big concern for me but there are I mean it's a big concern to me that we address this issue as as horse owners so um, one of the products that you can use it is a zeolite product to treat the areas where horses urinate zeolite is um, a mineral that's in clay and it binds with the ammonia in urine so you don't smell as much of the urine smell. I think Sweet PDZ was one of the sponsors of this and um, they have excellent products and they even have a product that you can put out in paddocks. That it's not as finely ground, it's more like half inch size, so it's more like the size of crushed rock. But there's also other methods to treat um, urine smells in paddocks and things like using compost tea and the beneficial microbes in compost tea if you spray on a diluted solution in, onto your paddocks, those beneficial microbes will help break down the organics in the urine um, that's in the footing in your paddocks and, or in the soil and help uh, to eliminate that smell. I don't know, Joyce, do you have anything else to add to that? One, one of the things that you also want to be looking at is the drainage in the paddocks and you may need to try and improve the drainage, the, water, the flow of water over the soil in the paddocks, whether it's putting in a little graveled area or working with your extension agents, your natural resources people on how to, um, how to make the soil and the area drain better so that you aren't collecting the liquid. All right. And it seems like a, a perfectly good time to ask our next poll question, which is, is it a city, or is, excuse me, is it a state, county, or a municipal requirement for you to have a manure management plan 
set up to deal with waste and odor? Uh, take a moment to answer that if you don't mind, and then we're going to switch gears and go into pasture management. Our first question in this area is from Jackie in Connecticut, who, who just would like to know some, ask you to touch on some basic pasture management principles, i.e. regarding fertilization, actually throw that out, we talked about that a little bit earlier, uh, mowing and cleaning pastures. Well, what I'd like to say about basic pasture management is um, the most important component for pasture management is actually having what we call um, a sacrifice area. That's a term that we use in, as environmental educators. You, it, basically, a sacrifice area is like a paddock or a confinement area or a corral. Uh, it's what, you know, those are terms that horse people are more familiar with. But we call it a sacrifice area because you're sacrificing that area as grassy pasture for the sake of the rest of your pasture. And this becomes um, where you put your horse to keep your pastures from becoming overgrazed. It's where you keep your horse in the wintertime when your pastures are dormant and your soils are saturated. Um, or it's also an area where you um, put your horse so that they don't get fat on too much pasture. So it's, it's the most important component to having a good pasture is to having a sacrifice area. Um, and then as far as the rest of pasture management, I'm a big advocate of rotational grazing. And what that would be, what that means is taking whatever area you have and dividing it into sections, like with hot tape, with uh, temporary fencing, and then putting your horse or horses into smaller areas and kind of treating them a little bit more like lawnmowers so that they graze a little more uniformly and they graze down to about three to four inches and then the next time you put them out you put them into another small area to graze and you keep on going that way and then the idea is, is that the grass will have grown back in the first area by the time you've rotated around and come back to it. And any thoughts on mowing? Very, very well. Oops, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Um, as you're moving the horses around, you do have to watch your weight and the amount of grass that, that they're actually getting so that we can prevent obesity. But it is definitely best to be rotating. Yeah, that's another good reason why you want to have a sacrifice area so that you can manage their, their weight as well. And Jody from Florida would like to know, how do you increase grass production in a sand paddock, especially if you have a tight budget? So I'm um, not quite sure whether her question is on the soil type or the size. But in either case, um, I would have them have her talk to her conservation district, who can one of the beauties of conservation districts is that they can give you some site-specific information so they can look at your soil and they can help you with, uh, they can tell you what kind of grasses grow well or grow best in your environment. They can help you figure out what you need to make your place more productive. Uh, so I would suggest that she talks to her conservation district to get some help with that. And then the other thing that I would... Um, mention with this is that, you know, I, I'm not sure if she means that she has a small area, but I am a big advocate of you can have pasture um, with any size operation 
it's ju just a matter of management. You can have, I've seen people that had like a tenth of an acre for pasture, and maybe they only put their horse out for a half an hour, but it was really important to them to have a pasture. But they managed it carefully, and they never let their horses graze that pasture below three to four inches. And then they would pull it off, the horse off, and they'd let the grass regrow to about six to eight inches. All right, very good. And our poll on um, state, county, state, and municipal requirements to have manure management plans, 16% uh, of our audience says yes, they do have a requirement for that. 33% no, and most uh, over half, 51% of you aren't sure. All right, and our next question is from Susan in New Jersey, who says she has three horses on one acre. Her soil is clay over shale. Do we have any advice for preventing mud and growing some nice green cover on this area? Well, that's um, similar to the soil that I have here in um, southwestern uh, Idaho. We have um, clay and silt soil over shale. And the way to prevent mud is to have horses not on pasture in the wintertime during the rainy season. You want to have once again, going back to the sacrifice area and do some different techniques for hardening this area and using footing in those areas, gutters and downspouts, drainage like what Joyce talked about before is really important to have in those areas, those sacrifice areas to prevent mud. And then in the pastures, it um, again, I would encourage this person to talk to their conservation district to get some site-specific information. But to keep them green, you don't want to overgraze. You don't want to put your horses on until the grass is about six to eight inches tall. Rotational grazing, once again, will really increase the um, forage production for their pastures. And our next question uh, is getting in, starting to get into weeds. Uh, Tommy from Kentucky would like to know, how can I control weeds without using herbicides? And says mowing doesn't seem to work. Well, the first thing is to decide what kind of weeds that you have. Because weeds are actually, many of the things we call weeds are actually medicinal plants. And horses will eat a variety of plants. And if you watch horses in nature or you watch horses that have access to a pasture that has many different kinds of plants, not just grasses, but all kinds of plants that we call weeds, um, they eat all sorts of green material. And the best diet for them really is a variety of green material and some herbs. The what happens in a lot of overgrazed pastures, and particularly in dry seasons, is that the weeds do very, very well, and the grasses are overgrazed and highly stressed. And so the weeds can actually take over, and they'll shade out the grass. So you want to go back to what we were talking about and what Elaine was talking about on the pasture management with your sacrifice area and allowing your grass to grow and shade out the weeds that you don't work, I mean, that you don't want. And then the horses will eat the fresh growing young weeds. They don't want to eat them when they've turned to real stemmy plants. Right. And Julie from, <clears throat> from the U.S. would like to know if, since she has heard that vinegar can be used as a natural weed killer, and is this true? 
Yes, vinegar can be used as a natural weed killer. Um, you usually want a little bit higher concentration than you can get at just the regular grocery store. And those vinegar weed, highly concentrated weed killers are sold in many places. Um, one thing you have to watch if you're using a lot of weed killer is that uh, vinegar is acid and it will make the soil acid after a while, which can change the type of plants that want to grow. And you need to go back to what we answered with the last question as to you know, why do you need to be using the weed killer. Right. I um, use the vinegar, we use it on our like driveways and walkways and that sort of thing is a great weed killer, but if you use it in your pasture, it's going to kill everything, not just the weed, whatever it hits. So, yeah, so more like it's, it's more useful in areas like in driveways and walkways and that sort of thing. All right. Our next question is from Joe in Maryland, who actually kind of has a three-part question. She wants to know, how is the government encouraging environmental mess management practices among equine operators? Also would like to know why pasture neglect is so widespread and wants to know a little piece some tips on grass selection as well. So um, BMPs stands for best management practices. Um, a little uh, funny quip is uh, there's a joke among the natural resource agencies I work with in Puget Sound because a while back somebody, one of the landowners thought BMPs stood for big manure piles. <laughs> But uh, BMPs is actually a, a word used across the industry. It stands for best management practices. And there's BMPs for manure management, for pasture management, for uh, mud management. Um, the way the government is encouraging BMPs is different in different areas, but in many places there are a lot of programs um, that will uh, help you implement BMPs. If you work with the Conservation District or the Natural Resources um, Conservation Service, uh, there's different programs that they have that uh, allow for cost sharing. I think, Joyce, you um, have been a recipient of some of those cost sharing programs like CREP, right? Didn't yeah, you say? Both, are, both of the CREP and the uh, BMP has allowed me to fence out my waterways to keep the horses from crossing the creeks and breaking down the banks and increasing the silt in the in the waterways. And it has provided me with sources of water in paddocks that I did not previously have a source. So it's been an excellent enhancement for my entire farm. So the way people can find out about these different cost-sharing programs and if there are some in their areas is to contact, once again, their conservation district. And they will know about these different programs. They'll know about the other agencies that might have access to this funding. And they can go from there. And the way you can find out how to contact your conservation district is just to Google your county and then the word conservation district. And then... Um, why pasture neglect is such a widespread problem, that's just a really good question. But all the conservation districts that I work with across the country, they say pasture management is the number one problem, uh, the number one BMP that to, that's hard to get horse owners to implement. Um, I think it's just a, 
uh, it's such a big paradigm shift to um, for horse owners in a lot of ways to not let pastures get overgrazed. A lot of times when we have overweight horses, we think that if we put them on an overgrazed pasture that it will be uh, better for them. And you know sometimes that's not the case because the most amount of sugar is at the bottom part of the plant. But pasture management is a very big problem, and the runoff um, of soil and nutrients from overgrazed pastures, pastures can be a big problem. And as far as grass selection, that's going to be a site-specific issue. And once again, I really encourage folks to contact their conservation district for help with that. All right. I'm going to move on to one, another poll of our audience real quick, um, sort of back in the waste management area. Uh, to what degree do you, does your manure or stall waste pile present an odor problem for you? Then we're going to do just uh, another question or two in pasture management, and then we're going to move on because we're running out of time. Um, our question, let's see, from uh, Susan in Virginia would like to know, should horses share pasture with other livestock species, and if so, what parasites or diseases might present a problem? Uh, horses should absolutely share pasture with other livestock species. Each livestock species has different, different grazing habits, and so they generally complement each other. And their parasites are specific to the individual animal. So sheep and horses do not share parasites, and goats and horses and cattle and horses. So it makes for excellent pasture management to share, and no disease issues are a problem. All right. The last question in pasture management, Linda from Nevada would like to know, is it harmful to let your horse graze on chemically fertilized grass, such as your lawn? Uh, absolutely. Do you want to go and graze on chemically fertilized grass or chemically fertilized food, especially when it's been done recently? Um, the chemicals that we tend to put on lawn grasses and sometimes on pasture grasses are toxins and they are going to affect the horse's uh, liver health. They are, the liver has to detoxify everything that goes into the body that isn't supposed to be there. And some of these chemicals are toxic to the liver, some of them are toxic to the kidneys, some of them are toxic and have other side effects that can affect potentially any organ system or even just stress the immune system. So, and we also have a tendency to put down more chemicals per acre on our lawns than we actually do in, on a uh, pasture or many, than we put more on than many farmers put on their entire farm. And the results of our poll are, uh, to what degree does your manure or stall waste pile cause a problem for you? Uh, it's not a large problem for anybody. 10% of you say it's somewhat of a problem. 36% um, say it's a small problem or only at certain times of the year. And more than half of you, 54%, say it's not a problem at all. Now we're going to leave pasture management, move into water management with some of the little bit of time we have left. Uh, Julie would like to know about rainwater collecting. She's planning on installing a system at her farm and wants to know if, besides being used for watering the arena in the jump field, if it could also be used to water the horses and if a filter might be needed for that. Yeah, that's a really good question There's and a, a really good thing to talk about. There's many parts of the country where uh, they don't actually have enough uh, well water, groundwater that they, and an aquifer that's productive that they can 
um, draw from for, for drinking or maybe they only have enough for drinking and they don't have enough for livestock and for other things. So they do uh, cisterns for um, rainwater harvesting is technically what it's called. And so that would be getting the water that runs off of your roofs. It's, I, uh, what I always say, and, and Joyce, you can um, correct me or add to it, um, is if you have a metal roof or a fiberglass roof that it's probably okay for doing that. But when people have a composite roof, um, that's when I, or um, sh cedar shingles or shakes, like that kind of thing is you wouldn't want to use that for watering your horses. Uh, as far as collecting the water and using it for watering your arena, your jump field, I think that would be awesome. I've also heard of people collecting that water and uh, retaining it and having it as a backup system for like fires um, if there was an emergency like that. Joyce, is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think I think water collection, rainwater collection, is something that is being done more and more. Certainly, in my area, there are quite a few. Every summer, there will be quite a few workshops where you can learn how to collect rainwater. And uh, in some parts of the country, that is considered much more the norm. And you can keep that rainwater healthy using good collection techniques and good covering techniques, all of which you can find out from some of your local classes as to what works best in your particular area. But I would definitely encourage people to do that because water is more and more of an issue and clean water is a huge issue. We have a, a big problem with clean, what we call potable or healthy water in many parts of the country. And if your horses are drinking from a little stream that's going through your property, you're drinking, the horses are drinking all of your neighbors' um, pesticides, herbicides, um, septic fields that aren't working, anything that drains down the hill, as Elaine said earlier, is going to end up in these waterways. And if you can get clean water and keep your horses fenced out of the waterways unless you know that water is clean that they're drinking from, then a rainwater collection system is a great way to do that. I might add to that if I could that um, it'd be important to note that rainwater harvesting is regulated in some states actually. It's um, in some states they consider the rain that falls from the sky a property of the public or the government. So it would be something good to check into. And the classes that are being taught on um, rain gardens and rainwater harvesting would be likely taught through extension. So that would be, you could t contact your conservation district, but also I would encourage you to contact um, extension through your land grant university in your state to find out about more about rainwater collection. All right, and our next question is from John in New York, who would like to know what you'd recommend for mitigating the mud zone in high traffic areas around barns. Yes, um, high traffic areas would be those areas like in front of stalls, um, in walkways where people walk or horses walk. Um, 
anything in front of gates, in and out of gates, around the water trough. So what we recommend is using some kind of footing in these areas. Well, first of all, to back up, like Joyce said a while ago, first you want to look at drainage. You want to make sure that water is running away from your barn and your high traffic areas as much as possible. You don't want water running to your barn um, and collecting in those high traffic areas. And then next you want to have gutters and downspouts on all of your barns and your outbuildings and you want to capture that clean rainwater and divert it away and not let it become a mud management issue around your barns and your high traffic areas. You want to divert it to some unused portion of your property like a vegetated field or a wooded area, that kind of thing. And then use footing in those areas. So footing would be either um, a crushed rock, like a gravel kind of product, so something like a half inch to five-eighths inch in size. Or if you live in an area where um, hog fuel, which is chipped wood, is available, that might be an option. Or, or coarse washed sand would be another option. Right. Our next question is from Erica in Alabama, who says she has a pond in her pasture with lots of algae in it. And is it OK for the horses to drink out of it? Yes, it is OK for them to drink out of it. Though if your pond has a lot of algae, you might want to have go through, say, your extension agent or one of the conservation agents and have them come out and evaluate it and make sure it is a healthy pond. The normal healthy pond and the algae that's in it is perfectly okay. In most parts of the country, there are some issues with certain types of algae in very specific areas. And your extension agents um, are in your local area are trained to recognize that. But if you have a very unhealthy pond, it might mean that there's not enough oxygen in the water and that you're actually growing unhealthy algae or the water itself is becoming um, contaminated. Right. Uh, another thing I might add to that is that in many parts of the country that it's uh, really in other countries as well besides ours, it's um, regulated to creeks, ponds, and wetlands to um, have a certain around, amount of buffer around our ponds in order to filter out nutrients so that they're not, so you don't have runoff from manure and urine that's getting into the water system. So you might want to check in your area to see if there are regulations as far as allowing uh, your animals to have access to the ponds. In many of those cases where there are regulations to f provide a buffer around water bodies, they still will let you uh, provide a small access to the pond or to the creek to allow your livestock to drink out of it. So once again, um, talk with your conservation districts to figure out what regulations are there and how to provide a water access, a watering point to your pond or your creek. And uh, Erin in Kentucky says her farm consists mostly of hills, and she'd like to create a sacrifice area but doesn't have any flat spots. Do you have any suggestions for that? Yeah, well, that's great. I'm really glad that she wants to create a sacrifice area. And 
And um, a sacrifice area doesn't necessarily have to be in a flat spot. What I like to see is in a high, well-drained area with a slight slope away from the barn. And too often I've seen, um, and I bet Joyce has too, I've seen um, barns and sacrifice areas that are put at the bottom of the hill. So that means all the water from the hill behind the, the paddock and the barn all drains right into that um, sacrifice area. And so it ends up being like a soup bowl or, or something and collecting all the water that way. So you want to locate your sacrifice area on a high, well-drained area where it uh, slopes away from your barn. All right. We're going to move on into fly and pest control with some of the last few minutes that we have left. Before we get into that, I'm going to ask one more question of our audience. How many horses do you stall on your property on a regular basis? Uh, our first question on fly and pest control is from Deborah who, in Kansas who would like to know how we can control flies effectively and still maintain a green environment. The key to fly control is to keep your manure management in good control and compost it effectively. One of the biggest things that attracts flies is the odor of uncomposted manure. And if you maintain a clean property, you're going to go a long way towards reducing your flies. But there are also fly predators. There are um, a variety of natural fly spray products, which some of them work better than others. Some work well on certain horses, I think because their individual system reacts best with a certain product. And the next horse down the aisle might do better with a different product. There are um, barns that are very light and airy and bright have a tendency to have more flies in them. Barns that are darker or you can turn the lights out tend to have fewer flies collecting in them. Elena, you want to add some? Well, there's um, fly traps that use pheromones. Um, those are like hormones, um, insecticide, hor in insect hormones that will attract um, like flies or whatever you're kind of uh, trying to trap. They will attract them. So they're non-chemical traps. Um, there's different kinds of sticky traps that are good as well. Um, but I think really the most effective um, fly control is a good manure management program. And Melissa from New Hampshire would like to know if you have any homemade recipes for fly sprays that you recommend. Um, to make to make fly sprays and to have them really work takes a little bit of experimentation, but many of the essential oils are effective and can be used. Um, and uh, I don't, off the top of my head, you can mix citronella with a bunch of eucalyptus, there's cedar oils. Um, there are quite a few companies that have different products and you can study the ingredients that are in those and see which ones you can obtain easily and mix together. You usually mix a small quantity of the essential oil with something like witch hazel. That makes it a really good base. 
Um, you can also have a look at the latest issue of the horse in the green horse keeping section. There is an article on natural fly control that has got some good suggestions also for some mechanical fly control devices. Yeah, and there's also um, birds and bats are uh, another great way for, for fly control too that I didn't mention before, but there's many different species of uh, na native birds that eat um, flying insects and you can get nest boxes for the appropriate bird in your area as well as bat boxes and um, hang those and many of the swallows they're so easy to in, um, encourage to move into your yard by just putting the appropriate nest box for those swallows and this would be the perfect time of the year for for hanging those so you can talk to uh, wild bird stores uh, owners about what birds are insect eating birds are in your area and what are the appropriate nest boxes for those We've got a couple more questions about birds from Marion, Wisconsin, and Carlene in Virginia. Um, they're both trying to, act, they're both actually having bird problems. One wants to know if the bird's droppings are harmful in the barn, and the other would like to know uh, what kind of nets you can put over the windows to keep birds and flies from coming in. Um, there's, having birds in your barn is, is really perfectly okay. The, they occasionally will go ahead and poop in the water and in most cases the horses are pretty resistant to the diseases that the birds have. Um, occasionally there are times that salmonella or botulism or something like that could potentially be picked up. In most cases that is not a real issue as long as your hygiene is good and you're not leaving the water dirty and particularly in the summertime and allowing it to ferment and uh, acquire a bunch of bacteria growing in it. You can put nets over the windows you can, and doors and you can get some big huge sheets of netting, just regular netting like you put on your screens and make doorways and the horses actually learn to walk through them. I have uh, clients that put them over their run-in sheds and the horses just walk in and out and it keeps the it keeps the flies down. It shades it. Some of the uh, the real bright light doesn't come through the screens. But the birds are going to figure it out, and they're going to go around it. And when you've got an excess number of birds, it's very difficult to keep them from figuring out how not to get in the barn. Sure. And our, oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just thinking it kind of depends on the birds. You know, if they're barn swallows, they are such a good insect um, eater. They're eating um, thousands of insects a day, you know, any place from two to 4,000 insects a day, and that's better than any bug zapper is going to get. Um, if they're starlings, starlings are non-native birds. I mean, they're pretty much here to stay, but they're so nasty with... Um, with swallows, they will they will outcompete swallows. They'll they'll rip the babies out of the nest and uh, and those kinds of things. So if they're starlings, I think you should do everything you can to keep them out of your barn. But if they're barn swallows, I think you should um, 
thank them for being there and uh, enjoy their company. And you can always put newspaper on the ground underneath their nests to pick up the droppings. Or you can put a board um, under, you can nail a board underneath their nest that collects, uh, that's like a ledge that will catch droppings that way too. Our last question on pest control, Jackie from New Zealand uh, says, says he's got quite a tick problem on the farm and how can you deal with that in a green way? One of the best ways to get rid of ticks is to have guinea hens. The problem with guinea hens is that they are loud and not everybody likes them and particularly maybe not your neighbors. Um, but that is probably the most effective way to actually get rid of ticks in a given area. Chickens are also fairly good at cleaning up ticks. They like to eat the little insects, and uh, they're a little bit easier to manage than the guinea hens. But there's really no way that you can go out and spray anything, natural or unnatural, and get rid of ticks in a, in a, in a green kind of a way. One thing, a piece of research that came up not too long ago, it shows that some of the non-native plants like honeysuckle encourage the deer to hang out underneath them and there are actually much, much higher levels of ticks and consequently Lyme disease in places where honeysuckle has been allowed to grow at random. Hmm. Interesting. All right. And we're going to move into one, another popular area, um, deworming. Uh, Whispering Horse from Washington would like to know, what are the greenest methods to minimize the use of chemical dewormers? The, the best use to minimize your chemical dewormers is to have your horses as healthy as possible. It's, the, it's their immune system that is going to allow the parasites to take over. So if you have a poor immune system, then the parasites are going to be able to take over. Good manure management is going to go the farthest as far as avoiding the use of chemical dewormers. So collecting your manure and composting it. Having a variety of foods available, like you mentioned in your question, having a hedgerow with uh, medicinal plants, there are certain plants that have um, antiparasitic properties. But the other biggest thing is to minimize stress because the more stress the horse is under, the more their immune system is going to be suppressed and the more likely they are to carry a heavy parasite load. And that stress can just be confinement, especially when the horses are not happy and they, horses need socialization, and they need to be able to get out and move around, even if it's not in a very big area. And the more the horses are stressed, the more you have to rely on your chemical dewormers. Would you also recommend that um, folks get fecal tests to see what kind of worms they have? or? You should always do in any deworming program, and particularly if you're setting out to do a natural deworming program, then you need to be doing your fecals approximately every quarter and really paying attention to what that's telling you. Some horses are what we call shedders, which means they're going to have parasites. 
at all times, and those horses, we really try to work on their immune system and strengthening it, but they still have a tendency to shed parasite eggs. Um, if we are doing fecals regularly, we know what, what our program is doing, whether it is a chemical program or whether it is a natural program. And it's always best to take those fecals at the full moon because your parasites are most active at that point and you'll get your highest counts. Right. And our next question on the deworm area is from Peter in California, who would like to know how toxic is dewormer to dogs and fish after it passes through in the manure? Um, when it first passes through, it can be quite toxic to dogs, certain dogs, particularly the collie breeds, um, and is many of the dewormers are quite toxic to the fish and the other aquatic life. It's not just the fish. It's the little insects, it's the little small creatures that we don't really pay much attention to because we have to go out looking for bugs. But those are very critical to the health of a waterway. And the more that the more horses that are on a property tend to go out and deworm 30 horses at a time, the toxic load of wormer that's put into a pasture can be significant and then if you have a rainstorm all of that uh, water from the rain is going to wash the dewormers right down into the waterways and um, if the dogs get out in the fields they can certainly eat it. We also see that many of these dewormers, particularly the ivermectin, moxidectin class, remain in the soil for long periods of time and prevent the good bugs like the dung beetles from breaking down your manure. And so you can actually change your whole ecosystem in a very negative way with constant use of chemical dewormers. And our next question, a fairly common one, from this one from Karen in California, would like to know what your thoughts are on any alternative methods of dewormers, such as red clay, diatomaceous earth, or any of the other options, and can they replace uh, chemical dewormers? They can replace chemical dewormers if you're really paying attention and if your horse's immune system is in good health and if their stress levels are kept fairly low. There are, diatomaceous earth is one of the most common things that is talked about and it is a basically the shell of a very tiny organism that has a lot of sharp edges. So it's a mechanical dewormer and it will scrape or cut the edges of or the skin of the parasite and that will then cause the parasite to die. And it can be very effective. I have seen it being very effective and the horses have a tendency to eat more of it around the time of a full moon because I think sometimes the horses are smarter than we are and they know when they need to treat themselves. The red clay by itself is probably not as effective as the diatomaceous earth and there are other herbal and homeopathic dewormers that can be used. One of the important things to note is that if you're using a natural dewormer, it is not going to be just give them a tube once a month or once every couple of months and forget about it because 
you're going to have to give any of these treatments over a period of a week, 10 days, two weeks, three weeks, for, in order for it to actually be effective. These are not the instantaneous kill of a chemical dewormer. And you really have to be paying attention to your fecal counts, certainly in great detail for the first two years of any new program that you're setting about doing. All right. And just real quickly, the results of our last poll, how many horses do you keep stalled on your property? We have 39% uh, of you. The, majority, the most popular answer was 1 to 3. 23% of you have 4 to 6 horses on the property. 23, another 23% don't have any. And 16%, 7 or more horses. And we're going to, we've got just a couple of minutes left. We're going to hit a couple, one, more, one or two more questions. Um, our, we've got somebody online, Barb Thurston, has a question about arsenic-treated fencing. She worries about horses ingesting the arsenic. Does the arsenic ever dissipate from the soil, and is there any way to get rid of it? That is an excellent question and one of my pet peeves, because all of our, well, all, in the past, all of our treated lumber contained arsenic and quite a few other toxins. And the current... They, they were forced to change the treatment material or the treatment, whatever they, they preserve this wood with, to a less toxic format. But we still have 40 years of arsenic-treated wood out there. And anytime the horses chew on it, which what do horses do? But they chew on wood. Um, anytime they're going and chewing on it, they are ingesting arsenic and the toxins. Some of that is going to leach off into the soil surrounding the fence post, but it's not going to leach into a very large area. But if horses are overgrazing and are grazing close to the fence post, particularly when the grass is really short, they are likely to be getting a little bit of arsenic in it. All right. And uh, Grace Lee from North Carolina would like to know, how can kids get involved in green horse keeping? She's actually considering trying to make it part of Pony Club and other horse associations. Well, um, I always think that it's really important to involve kids because I, I think it, too often we teach them about the front end of the horse before we think them, teach them about the back end of the horse. <laughs> and I think it's... I think it's really important that they uh, realize the responsibilities for horse keeping and not just that it's not just about riding a horse. Um, horses for Clean Water, the, my organization has developed a lot of materials for youth and we do a lot of classes for youth. We have some of them on our website, the horsesforcleanwater.com website. But, um, I think it's, and we've done some farm tours for that are uh, specifically um, pointed towards involving children and youth, as well as you know how to t how to help parents um, learn how to teach kids to become involved and show them how to be involved. And really, it's like anything else. I think with kids, you just chunk down the information, try to present it to them in a way that's uh, meaningful to them, and in a way that they can accomplish it. So. You, so you invite your kids to clean paddocks with you and you get manure forks that they can use. Um, and of course you always make sure that everything's safe and careful when kids are involved. Um, Joyce, do you have any specific I, ideas? I think, the, the root, I think you've hit on 
most of that, Elaine, because the, the real key is education. And so you go and pick up the paddocks with them. You make that manure pile and, and make it an interesting thing and study you know, what happens with this manure pile. And it starts out as horse poop, and then it ends up as this beautiful dirt. And, and it doesn't smell, and they get to be a part of creating that. And the same thing if you're going to redo your, uh, your barnyard and make it drain better, get them involved in, in designing it and saying, okay, you know, where do we want the water to go? Make it a little bit of a project for them at their level. And I think it would be wonderful for it to become part of horsekeeping in the Pony Club and in all organizations. Yeah, and in and in 4-H, I'd really like to see it a part of um, the 4-H curriculum on a national level. Yeah. And it, it actually is in some of the counties in Puget Sound, in, which is in Washington, they have green horse keeping as part of their curriculum there in 4-H. That's great. Yeah. Very good. Well, guys, I think this is about all the time we have today. We've already kept everybody a little bit later than planned, but we were just having such a good time, we couldn't stop. Um, I wanted to uh, thank everybody for your time and, uh, of course, to our audience for participating. We had a lot of really great questions, and this session will be archived soon on thehorse.com for repeat listening, if you would like. It'll be at thehorse.com slash ask-the-vet. And uh, I'd like to encourage you to check out more farm management tips under the farm management topic at thehorse.com. Check out uh, Elaine's Smart Horsekeeping blog on thehorse.com as well. And last but not least, thanks to Sweet PDZ for bringing this free session to us today. Please check them out at www.sweetpdz.com. I hope you all had a great time, and I hope you have a great evening. Keep thinking green thoughts. <laughs>